0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation plus MSNBC Chief Correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. Can Chicago's power grid handle going all electric? We'll discuss. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Reset. You might have heard about the city's push to move away from natural gas and have new buildings go electric. Think electric stoves, water heaters, and furnaces. Advocates say this move is an effort to improve people's health and to help lower carbon emissions. But that begs the question, can our power grid even handle that? And how can the energy grid itself become more renewable and less reliant on fossil fuels? We explored these questions with Karen Weigert. Reset's sustainability contributor and director of Loyola University Chicago's Baumart Center for Social Enterprise and Responsibility. And I started by asking Karen to remind us why decarbonizing buildings is such a big deal and how it impacts climate goals, health and equity.
1: Well, decarbonizing buildings is in the middle of all of those topics, as you said. Yeah. And uh, I'll start with just the word. It's decarbonizing. So it's about, at the core, removing carbon from our economy and from uh, the places where we are. It's important in a place like Chicago because the majority of our carbon emissions actually come from heating, cooling, and operating buildings. So if you can pull carbon out of buildings, you've pulled carbon out of the economy in a really big way. Mm -hmm. Nationally, buildings are just second in terms of emissions. Transportation is actually first, but in a place like Chicago, buildings are the largest source. So that's the carbon side. Uh, And then there's the question of, If you're fueling part of your building on something that is... In your home or in your building being burned, and that's, you know, natural gas. If it's in your stove or if it's, uh, it's in your water heater, you mm-hmm. have combustion indoors. And so that raises the question of indoor air quality. And we've obviously spent a lot of time in the last few years thinking about air quality, so it's, it's top of mind for folks. And so decarbonizing can also lead to different health outcomes when you think about removing that combustion from inside your home. I see. And then there's the big question of can everybody participate equally?
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when we turn on a gas stove, it, it releases something called benzene, uh, a known carcinogen, right, which it uh, causes, c- it can cause cancer e- effectively. Uh, and there's research out of Stanford that shows that methane can actually leak from stoves even when they're not on. What's happening there? How big are the risks that we're talking about?
1: Well, there's been a lot of research coming out now and people really looking at this question of stoves, in part because of the pressure to decarbonize, Yeah, but also because we spend the majority of our time indoors. You spend 90 percent of your time uh, in school, at work, inside a structure, and so that air quality is absolutely critical. And, uh, there's been more and more connection between what might trigger asthma, for example, which is an incredible challenge here in Chicago for so many of our mm-hmm. families. And there are questions both about when the stove is on, so when there's the actual the combustion, but also are there leaks. All of this can lead to indoor air quality issues. So there are actually people are looking at what is indoor air quality like when your stove is on, if it does not have a hood, if it is gas, and if your windows are closed. There can be some concerns. So why do can, we tolerate this in our homes? Well, in part, when you're buying your home, chances are it already has a stove in it. And so that's not typically the driver of the purchase. And so we have to ask the questions of when your stove needs to be replaced, how can it be replaced with the one that's going to meet your needs, both for how you want to cook and how you want to live? And then also when we build new buildings, how can they be built to, again, support how people want to cook and how they want to live? But right now, when you're shopping for a home or looking for a place that you're going to be renting, you probably don't get a choice, actually, on what's in that kitchen. But over time, you might
0: yeah the uh, the clean and affordable buildings ordinance would apply to o- only to new buildings, uh, which is a small percentage of our, our building stock here. Uh, I want to read a statement from Comed about their ability to meet increased demand for electricity. Now it reads in part Comed's grid is ready today to power increasing demands tied to the electrification of our homes, buildings, and transportation. ComEd's system today is built to meet high summer cooling demands. But with 85 percent of our customers today heating with natural gas, electricity use dips in the winter, ensuring that there is more than enough capacity available to absorb new heating loads like the ones considered in the Chicago proposed ordinance. We want our customers to know that we have anticipated and planned on how to meet this new demand. Your response, Karen.
1: Well, I think that question of when do we use electricity during the course of a year is actually a really important one. Most homes in Chicago have air conditioning, and the air conditioning runs off of electricity. Most homes in Chicago have heating, but the majority of that heating is running off of gas. Mm -hmm. So if you look at when electricity is used over the course of a year, much more is used in a month like July than a month where the temperatures are lower. So you either have heating or you don't need air conditioning. So it's absolutely the case that if you look over a year, there's more need in the summer. And what we're really talking about in this potential ordinance that you've mentioned would be a switch to... It's an elimination, basically, of combustion. So it would be a switch to electric and the big issue there is heating that's actually when there's less need for the grid right now because heating is on gas so there actually is an opportunity to think about what that looks like over the course of the year and is there room then under that to think about new demand so buildings that might be all electric it does look like there absolutely should be room i have to look at absolutely every part of the grid it's not equal it is in fact a yeah, grid right but conceptually yes there's more need in the summer we're talking primarily about a switch that would happen in the winter when it's cold
0: Why do we need to think about how our power is generated?
1: We need to think about how our power is generated uh, in two reasons. One, for the performance. And know how
0: the grid works. Yeah, we need to know know how the grid works. (laughs) Uh, Well,
1: we need to make sure that the grid works. That's the key thing, which means you need reliable power that is affordable, but you also need it to be clean. And that where it's generated part has implications for reliability, but it has huge implications for carbon and air quality. And so if you go back and you look at the grid, in the U.S., uh, the biggest source for many, many years was coal nationally. Uh, in Illinois, it was second. We've got a huge nuclear base here. But you've seen the trend both in Illinois and national move away from coal towards nat- natural gas mm-hmm. um, and increasingly towards renewables. It matters because of the carbon composition of how you get that electricity, and it matters because how you create that electricity has huge implications for the air quality for the families who are near the actual generation sources. So it matters for both counts.
0: So uh, I want to look at where we, we currently get our energy some more, Karen. So Illinois, we know, generates more electricity from nuclear energy than any other state. Uh, and it made up over half of the state's electricity in 2022. It is considered a clean energy, but not renewable. Why? So
1: you're right. Illinois is a huge nuclear state. It is a consistent source of, call it half of our power. But there's a question of what, what is the core categorization of nuclear? It is more or less carbon free. So from a carbon standpoint, you're looking at something that is not adding carbon dioxide to the atmosphere when it's producing energy. But it's not renewable in the sense that it's not constantly being replenished. You're using uranium. You're actually using a material that has to be essentially mined, processed, and then replaced. So it's not renewable in that sense, even though the electricity is clean, more or less, from a carbon sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, we know coal-fired power plants supplied our state with with a lot of our electricity. But there's been a lot of organizing and legislating to close those uh, those coal power plants. Give us the very latest and and how much coal still contributes to this electrical grid.
1: Coal has declined pretty dramatically, yeah, from call it loosely forty ish percent to roughly twenty ish percent in Illinois, with nuclear still being the largest source. Those are also national trends, so again, if you look nationally, coal is over half, and coal is now below natural gas at the national level, so you've seen a huge shift. Natural gas, it's a more efficient fuel. It's a cleaner fuel. The economics have been working better for the natural gas side than for coal. And so for the last decade plus, you've actually seen this trend uh, nationally and in Illinois. It's meant that electricity here and nationally is actually cleaner because it's been a shift from coal to gas. Uh, But it's not gotten fully carbon free because gas is still a fossil fuel.
0: So, uh, Karen, so we're clear, what is the fastest way to move toward a clean power grid?
1: Interestingly, the first thing is to use less power because you're talking about clean. Ultimately, you want to use less. So efficiency is always your first because it just reduces. Then you have a smaller gap to fill to go from fossil to clean. So that's the first step. And the second step is then how do you grow essentially what's called utility scale clean energy solutions? So that's like the big solar plants and the big wind farms. Because the way the grid works, there's generation typically somewhere, and then there's these long transmission lines, and then it gets distributed. That's the distribution end. Where we are in Chicago, that's all distribution. So generation is typically farther away. Um, You need really big utility scale solutions. So those those big wind farms that you'll see across the state of Illinois, that's an example Mm -hmm. of that. Now, increasingly, we're seeing renewables at the distribution end. Those might be solar panels on a building in your neighborhood uh, or at a local community center. Um, But you actually need to scale that production both at the big scale, the utility scale, and then increasingly at the local scale. That's your fastest move once you've reduced how much you need, and that's the efficiency part.
0: Yeah. Uh, Another statement here from ComEd uh, says, the ComEd grid is cleaner than those in other states We can meet 96% or more of our customers' energy consumption today with decarbonized energy sources.
1: Yeah, we benefit from a grid here that, from a carbon standpoint, is heavily nuclear. Uh, One thing that's actually interesting, and when you think about that, is we were talking a little bit about when you use power in the course of a year, how in the summer we're using more electricity because of, of air conditioning. We actually vary how much we use even during a single day. So nuclear is a pretty – it's a baseload power. It's on kind of at the same level all the time. But how much we all need varies during the course of the day. Um, in the middle of the night, you, your lights probably aren't on. In, in a July afternoon, your air conditioning is blasting. Um, so that's an indication also of we need different amounts of power to come in in different ways. Yeah. So as we're thinking about decarbonizing it, you've got to decarbonize that base. But then you need that incremental power. It's one of the advantages, for example, to solar in the summer. Sun's out when it's hot. Mm-hmm. That then matches what you need.
0: Well, Illinois, we know, has uh, ambitious goals under the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, or CEJA, which you and I have discussed many times here on the program. Uh, for those who don't remember, it wants to have 100% carbon-free power by 2045, as well as more job training for a green workforce in communities burdened by environmental racism. Now, last fall, we spoke with Delmar Gillis, who's a chief operating officer at Elevate, who was part of writing the legislation. Here is uh, what he had to say on how implementing CJ is going so far. So the good news is that there are a lot of opportunities out there. The incentive dollars are out there, and we're already starting to see pipelines where black, brown, and woman-owned businesses are starting to get these opportunities. But as Jacob mentioned It is going to take some time. There are some growing pains. And most importantly, I think everybody has to remember that this is nation-leading legislation. Illinois is doing something that has never been done before with this large focus on equity. So there's a lot of excitement, but it's also going to take a lot of time to get everything in place. Anything to add, Karen?
1: The the legislation here really is comprehensive. I think that point about nation-leading, it's the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. So it is intending to link the human outcomes with the carbon outcomes. And uh, absolutely, that has not moved as fast as the folks who supported the legislation early had anticipated or hoped for.
0: And and I want to jump back to, you mentioned solar a moment ago, and and we talk a lot about wind and solar. Uh, How does that energy actually get onto the grid so that we're clear? So any new energy source
1: has to be connected in. So it's an interconnection question if Mm -hmm. you're here. So it actually physically has to connect into the grid. It's basically electrons. And they got to go hang out with the other electrons to make it to your house and do what you need. Uh, But that also requires the economics and the policy to be in place so that new solar or renewables are built and so that they actually can get the processes approved to link in. So some of it's the physical. The electrons have to connect. But how do you get to that point?
0: How much do they generate for us currently, wind and solar?
1: So in, uh, in Illinois, renewables have hit into the high double digits. So you're in the like, 15, 20%-ish range. Um, uh, they're not at the 20 where they need to be. If I look at where we are right now, it's actually probably a little bit lower, kind of in the 10-ish to 15-ish. Um, we've seen a variety of different looks at this because there's actually a goal to have a quarter of this, um, to have it hit by 2025. And uh, we're not there. We're not there. So the tracking is called half. Uh, in terms of the actual delivery. Now, it's, it's different if you there are little solar installations all around the city, but they're looking at bigger utility scale, and they track those numbers, and the numbers are tracking behind where you'd want to see them to meet mm. those goals in the legislation.
0: Real quick, before I let you go, what are you keeping your eye on? The city's now contemplating decarbonizing buildings. What's top of mind for you?
1: Uh, what's top of mind is to watch, particularly when you mention the city, What's the city doing from policy, programs, and their own operations? So what we've been talking a lot about here is, are the implications behind the policy side? Uh, Is this ordinance going to pass? You also look at what are the programs? How's the city actually supporting uh, small businesses to grow and develop into the contractors of the future here? That's got it aligned with the state. And then you're always looking at how are the city's own operations moving? There's a lot happening.
0: There's a lot happening. Karen Weigert, that's Reset Sustainability Contributor. Thank you so much. Pleasure. This conversation was produced by Linnea Dominic, and it was edited and mixed by Meha Ahmed. Do you want more conversations like this? Well, don't forget to subscribe to the pod so that you never miss a new episode. We bring you conversations daily with an extra special podcast on Saturdays, too. And if you want more Reset, check out our newsletter. We break down the latest stories and put events happening across the city on your radar. Sounds like your cup of tea? We'll visit WBEZ.org slash Reset News. That's it for this episode. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we'll meet again this afternoon. Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts.